whether we like it or not, actors and people that are big are going to sell your film, no matter how good it is, because that's how people are going to see it, because they follow these people. And so if you want to make money, you're going to have to spend money on an actor. Welcome back to another episode of the Rough Cut Club. I am your host, Joey Nicotra. And today we have a super special episode that I'm excited to kick off with my co-host, Mr. Shane Wright-Zammer. Today is the very first episode. Actually, we had an episode last, uh, last week, but this is really the first official episode of having a guest on the podcast. And we have a very special guest today. His name is Mr. Corey Cannon. Corey, thank you for joining us. Yeah, pleasure to be here, man. I'm excited. Excited for you guys, yeah. Corey, man, for those who don't know you, Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about kind of who you are, what you're doing in the film industry, just a little brief overview Mm -hmm. as to kind of where you're at. So uh, I'm an actor, um, stuntman, producer, basically do anything in the industry. I started out doing stunts, and uh, from then on, I networked and started doing acting and then just started doing producing and and just the whole work. So uh, any aspect of the industry, of you know, that's what I'm in. Uh, mainly main passion, producing and acting, though. Mm-hmm. So to be clear, you are actually behind the camera and in front of the camera currently in the industry. Correct. Okay. And so, what would you say you are more passionate about in terms of like being behind or in front of the camera? They both have. Their benefits, you know, so being in front of the camera, you're a lot more creative and a lot more um, of a, I guess, expressive. So and being a producer and behind the camera, you're more analytical, more problem solving. And so if you don't know, I'm also a business owner and I build houses. And so I relate that all the time to producing because you have a blueprint that you use to hire people, get resources and you create a house. And being a producer, you have a script and you hire the same thing. You hire people and use resources and problem solve to make your script. And so it's crazy how I never thought I was going to be a home builder. You know, I always had passion in in acting and and creating and just doing adventurous things. But God kind of aligned my path to do this uh, home building, you know, company and learn all the things about problem solving and and just uh, how to run a business. And that relates solely to producing. And so learning all those things and transferring that over to the film industry is just is just a, a cool thing. That's such a great analogy. It is uh, a great building analogy. Building a house and the foundation and all mm-hmm. of the people that it takes to make it come together. And then same thing with the script and producing. Man, that's yeah. that's solid. Mm-hmm. Okay, I gotta I gotta ask this question. I gotta jump in. The uh what was your first, like your very first stunt that you ever did, like your very first film mm-hmm. project go way back what was what was the film? What did you do? Did you get hurt? So, yeah, so I did a um, a stunt course. So I learned how to. It was like in 2008. So that's how long I've been in the industry. So I learned how to get set on fire, get hit by cars, uh, jump out of buildings, stunt fighting. Yeah, and so I broke a few windshields with my back uh, before. <laughs> Luckily, I haven't broke my back. But wow. <laughs> that makes. Only one of us, yeah. because I broke my back twice, <laughs> oh, actually. Man. So I get to be in that club. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I started. And then I did a commercial for um, DirecTV, where I did a high fall off of... I had a Comcast shirt on, wow. and so the CEO of DirecTV like, shot me from off this building, and I, I fell. So that was one of like, the first Dang. official stunts I did. If we and, find the video, we got to play yeah, it yeah. in the uh, YouTube <laughs> Yeah, uh, we're going to need you to version. send us that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that was pretty crazy because we rehearsed it where I fell, but when we shot the video, they shined a spotlight right on my eyes, and so I couldn't see where I was falling. I'm like, I'm just going to fall. Everyone's looking at me. Hopefully, I hit the bag. And then I, f- <laughs> I fell right on the corner and rolled off, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I could have just died. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. This hey. is Corey Cannon putting his life hey. on, the on the line, line for filmmaking. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And I, yeah. I remember, uh, you know, we worked on a couple, several projects mm-hmm. together. And, uh, you know, I've seen this guy do some stunts and he, he puts it all out there, man. Yeah. yeah. Both go in... big or go home, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, so 
take me back to the very beginning, man. I mm-hmm. want to hear how you got started. Like what brought you to the industry initially mm-hmm. and what started your filmmaking journey? Yeah, so uh, growing up, I've always loved um, like being outdoors and, and creating and and just film in general. And so I would go out with my friends. We'd have the you know little tape recorders and make home videos of us dressing up as superheroes and um, doing stunts. This one time, one of my uh, buddies, his name is George, I was like, hey, I'm going to film you and run and like clothesline yourself on this tree. We're like 12 <laughs> years old. And so he's like, ah, I got hurt. And I'm like, oh, my, mom, uh, George is hurt. You know, <laughs> Delete the tape. Yeah. Delete the tape. <laughs> and so, you know, just the passion of, of that, I've always in, loved and enjoyed. And so um, in 2008 is when I did the uh the stunt academy, and and then so from there I just networked, um, started doing acting, got an acting uh, coach, and then she got me an agent, and then uh, I just started booking some some things, and just networking that way. And um, in the industry, you're gonna have a ton of rejection, and so you're gonna lose some steam, you know, starting out. And so I was like, man, this is stupid. You know, I'm not booking anything. I'm not doing this. I'm just going to go to college and just do a normal job. So I took a break, and I went to to college and got a degree. And then just during that, I didn't have any passion. You know, I had a really good job. And I'm like, man, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. You know, if I don't go and do my passion, I'm just going to get stuck in the rut of, you know, just the rat race. Mm. And so I... <clears throat> Just got back into acting and then started just like told my acting coach, I'm like, look, this is what I'm struggling with and I got to, you know, stay in here. So keep me accountable. And so from then on, I just started. And then when I got back, uh, Ryan Johnson, Ryan T. Johnson, (laughs) uh, I met him in acting class when I went back. And so he, me and him, we hit it off and because we have the same goals and visions in mind and uh, we're just like, hey, let's do our own stuff. And so we started, because we weren't booking, you know, and so we started uh, just creating short films and networking that way. And we had an investor who invested uh, for us to do uh, four short films. So each genre, we did a timepiece, we did a horror film, we did a comedy, and then we did um, like an action one. And so, because his goal... <laughs> Because we're we're still in contact with him today, but his goal was to have us do all these genres so we can get used to doing every different thing and seeing what works best and what we could take away from each genre. Um, and then yeah, so from from there it just kind of exploded. We networked with all these people from doing these things, and um, eventually we, we we're like, man, let's let's just get our own gear and do our own film. And so that's when we dropped a whole bunch of money to buy because gear's expensive <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, to buy a bunch of gear and we uh, made our first uh, feature film Shadow Creek it's like a thriller um, and we're shopping it around now and so we have several offers but we're holding out for the best one but that's was a big learning process because we had a ton of hats and we did everything ourselves for a really low budget and it was basically like paying to go to school you know because we funded it ourselves I, you know, wouldn't really recommend it because it's really hard to make your money back in the industry. It's like 90% chance of failure. <laughs> so mm-hmm. not very good odds if you're an investor, but it's you, you have to pay money to, to get experience. And so that's what we chopped it up to be like, look, if we're going to pay to go to college, we might as well just pay for ourselves to make a film and have our name on it and do how we want to do it. Um, and then from then on... Uh, Got a producing position at uh, on Vindication, uh, so I pr- produced season two and three of Vindication, which uh, season three will be out in the fall. Uh, line produced feature film, been on several features as a producer and associate producer, and then so it's all about net- networking and just putting yourself out there and doing the work, because uh, you've probably heard it before, but net worth work equals net worth. So it's really who you know. It's not about your. Ex- really about your experience or your knowledge or your diploma. It's really about who you know. I feel like uh, I'm going to just drop this analogy in here. Since he jumped off a building for his first stunt, I feel like he jumped into the film mm-hmm. career, man. And that's it. awesome. Yeah. You you were just like, hey, we're, I'm going to do this. Like, mm-hmm. hold me accountable. Yeah. And I love the, uh, the paid to get the 
mm-hmm. experience in the education. Uh, we we should have had you on the show uh, a couple of weeks back. Oh. We talked about. Uh, is film school worth it? And you mm. just brought up a great point. 100%. Mm-hmm. That if you're going to spend, you know, 50000 100000 why not make a low-budget feature? Mm-hmm. At, or invest in gear that you can continue to make right. content with. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you brought up a couple of things that I want to touch on, and I want to go back to the shorts that you made, the okay. original first four shorts. Mm-hmm. So you told me that you had an investor mm-hmm. to do those four shorts, which is kind of an uncommon thing. Tell me a little bit about, um, like, were those films profitable? What mm-hmm. was the investor's motivation? Because I feel like a lot of people would love to have investors mm-hmm. to make more short films. So tell me a little bit about that yeah. before we get into Shadow Creek. Yeah, so we kind of fell into uh, this investor, and he his whole goal was he wanted to pursue film and wanted to invest in it because he he loves it and he has um, a child that loves film. And so that was his whole goal. He wanted to do these different genres of the short films for our team to get experience. So then when we're ready, he can invest and we can do a feature, you know, and make it good. And so he was going to have those basically as pilots to pitch to larger investors. And so that was his his whole goal behind it. I mean, you're probably not going to find a deal like we did because it's really rare for someone to invest in a short film because they're not really profitable. They're just to showcase yourself, showcase your abilities, and to promote you really is what a short is. Um, and so that's kind of what happened there. And so was that investor involved in the making of Shadow Creek or was that something that you guys did totally separate? That was something we did totally separate. But we did use a lot of uh, contacts that we had from all those short films to then create Shadow Creek. That's awesome, man. Probably a lot of uh, School of Hard Knocks, right? A lot of things that you learned on the short films Mm -hmm. where you go, oh, we can do that different or better for Mm -hmm. the feature film. So, yeah, not only – yeah, I agree with you. Like, you know, they, they don't make money, but they sure do help you make money in the future. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely, man. So so then fast forward to Shadow Creek, mm-hmm. you guys took your experience and contacts and network mm-hmm. and gear and all that good stuff to that feature film. Tell me a little bit about, like, the beginning of that film. Like, this is you and Ryan's first feature mm-hmm. together. And, uh, you know, you had to get funding from somewhere. You have to, you know, put all, figure out the distro plan and everything. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about like just the creation of that movie. Yeah. So, um, Ryan, he's also a writer. And so he's like, I'm going to write a film that we can do low budget and shoot at a couple locations. And he was going to write to the locations that we already have. Love that. Which, uh, my parents, they live in Springtown. And it's, if you don't know where it's at, it's like, around Weatherford out in the country. And so I was like, hey, we have full access to this for free. And so we went out there, he looked around, took some notes, and was like, okay, we can use this for this scene, this for that, this for here. And so that's how we were able to do it so cheap. And we still needed, you know, we could have used all of our own money, but it's better to partner with people. And so um, Nick Schroeder, he's actually a part of uh, Cinema Mammoth as well now. And I met him on Washington's Armor when I was associate producing that. And he had the same passions that that we did. And um, he's like, what are you guys doing next? I'm like, well, we have this. You know, we have Shadow Creek that we're, and here's the concept. And it's about spiritual warfare and, you know, have a good message in there. And it's a thriller. Um, And he loved it. And we sat down with him and was like, what do you guys need? And so we uh, were like, yeah, we can partner together and do this thing. And then so he introduced us to another person, Sharon Oliphant, and she wanted to invest in film. And so we had her, uh, Nick Schroeder, and then me and Ryan all put in our money together to make this this feature film. And we all wore 100 hats, like Sharon, she did uh, wardrobe, craft services, producing, uh, executive producing, and like I was the lead actor, producing locations, everything, you know, and Ryan was a writer and this and Nick did a hundred hats as well. So it's like, you can't start big, you know, you have to learn and do and start small and then grow yourself. Man, you mm-hmm. touched on something that I want to actually back up to. And that was like the writing mm-hmm. your locations in the script based on what's available to you mm-hmm. from an economic standpoint. Yeah. And I've talked to multiple directors and producers 
that start their script with the locations mm -hmm. that they have. And I think that's such yeah. a powerful play when mm -hmm. you're trying to get your own feature off the ground to write around what you have access mm -hmm. to instead of writing this, you know, really elaborate concept that would take so much more economic resources to pull off, but instead starting with the locations that you have available to you, because I think a lot of our listeners want to, even if it's a short film, right? Starting your script with the locations that you have in mind is such a power play. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, because you're like, oh, I have this idea. I need a horse stable, a spaceship, this and that. Right. And you write it, and you're like, well, where are you going to film that at? Right, right. <laughs> so. and, and I've even seen a lot of people um, in the feature space, they'll do like one location movies mm -hmm. where it's like they find one really fire location that mm -hmm. they have access to, and they design an entire movie around that one location. And I saw it done. I watched uh, recently the autopsy of Jane Doe. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but mm -hmm. the whole movie happens inside one autopsy lab room. And I was like, this is so brilliant mm -hmm. to design and write a movie around one location mm -hmm. and just make it interesting. You know, yeah, that goes way back to Rear Window. <laughs> yes. Classic all in one room. Yeah, it was it was great. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I love the concept, by the way. I've got uh, a bamboo forest in my backyard. This is facts. A red barn. Uh, listeners and anybody listening right now, uh, film ideas. I've got locations Basically, for Basically, why Perfect. are we not making a film there already right now? <laughs> planning on it. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Okay, so um, I want to I wanna kind of dig into this just out of curiosity, honestly. So you made your first feature. I'm curious what your very first feature cost from start to finish for other listeners. Mm -hmm. Like what what really, you know, what all did it take? Yeah, so we had uh, minimal crew. Sure. Um, because the more crew you add, the more expenses you're going to incur with paying them and then food and everything yep. else. Um, so since we're selling it, I'm not sure if I need to say it. Okay, oh, fair, enough, fair, enough, that, fair enough. Save fair that. Enough. <laughs> fair enough. Because in the back, oh, you only spent that much. Uh, well, how well, many how many crew members did you have? So we had uh, we had a DP. We had two uh, grips that were also gaffers, you know, as well that Jeannie swings and then Ryan helped them. Uh, we had hair and makeup. So there was uh, probably 12 and then 12 me, people yeah. total to and make then, a feature film. Yeah. And then me, That's incredible. Nick, Ryan and Sharon. So, and a lot of the gear, right? All the, most of the gear was sourced mm -hmm. by what you guys have, mm -hmm. right? For rentals. Yep. And then maybe some of the crew brought it in. So that's another mm -hmm. big, you know, budget saver. If you can, you know, do a small crew, mm -hmm. you're, you have access to those locations. Uh, and then, yeah, wearing multiple hats, you know, as crew members mm -hmm. sometimes. But, and then having that gear, man, that's a mm -hmm. big budget saver. But I love that oh, you yeah. said, Go into the crew because when I'm producing stuff too, you forget that you got to feed everybody, and you're oh, like, yeah. "Oh, it just got a lot more expensive." Oh yeah, yeah it's like 12, twelve to fifteen dollars a meal per person. So yeah, it adds yeah, up. it adds up, and can you want to keep them happy. You can't do pizza, or else <laughs> they won't come. You got to do, do one. Day. <laughs> you can do one night pizza, yeah. one night, one day. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to happen. <laughs> um, okay, so you you also said that you and Ryan started your own production company mm -hmm. called Cinemammoth, correct? Yes. So tell me a little bit about what that process looked like. You formed a company and then your business transitioned from you being a freelance actor and and you know, mm -hmm. filmmaker, producer to now you run a production company. So mm -hmm. kind of dig into that a little bit for me. Yeah, so um we're like let's take this thing to the next level, you know, and we created an LLC, so we have an official company with an EIN number and everything and bank accounts and, and all that good stuff. So we did that uh, January it's like 5th in 2020 as, is when we started it. And we uh, acquired a bunch of gear. And so now we rent our gear out to productions that come, come even if they're shooting here in DFW, shooting in Indiana, what, you know, we'll rent nationwide if, you know, if they need it. And so um, that's kind of one source basically like passive income mm. uh, that we don't have to be hands-on with and we're just delivering gear making sure that it's main maintained and all that good stuff um, but also production services um, so we if productions have producers and things like that they want to film here 
we have all the networks and and the people and the locations and stuff. So they'll call us up, be like, "Hey, we need this, this, and this." Like, there's one filming now that Ryan's on, and he's our representative there, and they have some of our gear, and so he's representing Cinemammoth on that that production, and so they're just taking all of the knowledge. They probably should pay a little bit more, uh, but. <laughs> Because Ryan gives stuff out for free. I'm like, dude, we got to make some yeah. money. <laughs> <laughs> True. But yeah, that's th- awesome. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what happened. And then um, uh, I did a film, Bringing Back Christmas, which your son was Baby Jesus. That's on. right. With my daughter. <laughs> Baby Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, oh, uh, for the, for the movie, for the movie, it was the son. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Son of God. Uh, yeah. Yes. Son of yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, yeah. that was, that was a great, uh, that was mm-hmm. fun to be on that set. And that was, that was the first time, uh, you know, my family got to be on like that side of the camera, oh, yeah. you know, in a professional role. And then also, sh- baby girl's already making more money than dad can right? in like 20 minutes. <laughs> right? She's walking away with a nice check, you know, yeah. for crying on camera. I'm like, give me that job. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, what, what about that film? When does it mm-hmm. drop? Yeah, so it's going to release uh, this Christmas. Mm, okay. Yeah, and okay. Uh, we have a theatrical release, and then some other plans uh, going on with it. But I, I line produced that, and so if you don't know what line producing is, it's basically they're like, okay, here's our budget, make the film, and so you have to like <laughs> allocate the funds in different way, not go over budget. And uh, the DP's like, hey, I need this this gear, this camera, this light. I'm like, well, it's twenty thousand dollars. Do you really need it that bad? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's all about. You know, compromise. Uh, you're a DP's worst yeah. enemy. Uh, I was to say, line producer is yeah the the artist, the DP, oh the gosh. gaffer's worst uh, or best friend. Yeah. So you gotta you gotta play nice and yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so that was fun. And, and being a business owner, it just comes natural to manage yeah. money and manage projects. So I, I like line producing as well. It's fun. So you produce, mm-hmm. line produce, direct, act, own a production company, rent gear. Is there anything that you exclusively do not do? <laughs> Don't really do hair and makeup. But... <laughs> That's but, hilarious. Yeah, man. I mean, if you want to be successful in the industry, you have to learn different skills and mm. you have to be marketable. Because if you're just trying to be an actor, it's going to be really hard because the, there's so much competition. And you have to be willing to do different things. Even if it's not in the film industry, you have to do stuff to support yourself unless you have a good support system that's going to pay for you to not book for a while. But, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's why um, I also have businesses, uh, land development and real estate and other sources of income that if I'm not making money in the film industry, then that's supplementing. And so it just all flows together. So awesome, man. Yeah. I love it. So so looking ahead, what are some of the goals that you have for this upcoming year and beyond, man? Yeah, so this year we have several projects in development uh, right now. Uh, one of them, we're actually forming an LLC this week. And so we have some investors that are going to dump some money in um, towards the end of the week or next week. And so hopefully that film will um, kick off in um, June. Is what we're hoping for. Awesome. Yeah, and it's uh, it's called Eternal Realm. It's a faith-based um, film about uh, spiritual warfare and this and that. It's kind of um, the Jesus Revolution type of style is yep. what, what we're going for. And so we have some pretty big hitters that are going to um, be involved in there and that have already signed LOIs and things like that. And so we're partnering with Eastern Sky Theater, who did uh, Bring Back Christmas with us as well. Um yeah, so we have that, and then we have another one, Punch Drunk, which Nick wrote, because uh, Nick, he's part of Cinemammoth, Nick Schroeder, he's a writer as well, and so he's real passionate about this MMA film with uh, a female lead, and it deals with addiction and um, um, that sort of thing, and so it's it's not really faith-based, but it has a great message, and if it gets out there, it's going to, it's going to impact some people. And so we have several people that are looking at that. Um, so yeah. And, and then other films that are in the works. So you always going to have something going. That's let, awesome. Let me ask you. So when you, when you guys came up with these, you know, concepts or these, mm-hmm. these features, uh, what was the process? Did you start, you know, looking at distro first? Did mm-hmm. you go out so you could then pitch investors kind of, kind of walk us through what that looks like? Yeah, so you'll need a good pitch deck, which a pitch deck, it has all your info for your film that you're trying to get funded. And so you'll need 
it needs to be really uh, have a lot of pictures and, and things to showcase the film. You'll need an investor's page where it shows comparable films like for Eternal Realm, for example, we used Jesus Revolution. We used, uh, I can only imagine, all those faith-based films that did good. And then we had three categories like this is the worst case scenario, this is the middle ground, and this is the best case scenario for the film to make. And then so the investors can look at that really easy and be like, you know, it's a good investment. Um, and so you have all those numbers and you have the log line, you have people attached to it. So like we have um, this person with LOI, we have this director attached to it, this and that. So people can get it and be like, oh, they have all these people that are pretty popular and, and out there. So it's going to guarantee more of an ROI because whether we like it or not, actors and people that are big are going to sell your film no matter how good it is. Because that's how people are going to see it, because they follow these people. And so if you want to make money, you're going to have to spend money on an actor or somebody to market it, like um, either a high-caliber producer, a high-caliber director, somebody with a name. Because it's really hard to sell films with no name unless you're selling a genre that you've done for super cheap, but you don't really want to spend over 200000 because it's going to be really hard to make your money back if you don't have a name. That's so good. Dropping man. some hot knowledge over so here. Good. I'm loving this. And so uh, I guess you can't tell us any of these names yet, right? Because they're not, not confirmed. Okay. Well, well they wait. are confirmed, but I can't oh, tell you. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> or I may have to feed. NDA. Yeah. 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 NDA. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, so when uh, – what about Punch Drunk? You said uh, mm -hmm. it, I guess it's still being looked at, so y'all don't mm – -hmm. it's not slated. Or, or, you know, are you thinking mm -hmm. 2024 because um, uh, you're going to be focusing on mm -hmm. this other one in June? Yeah, we're looking at the, towards the end of the year, and so we already have some – I can tell you we have uh, a couple MMA people that are attached to it. Mm. Uh, Jessie Jess, she's like one of the top 10 UFC female fighters. Um, and then Ocho, he's also top 10. Wow. Yeah. And That's so a big the, name. Yeah. So they were, uh, we did a table read and they were there and um, they're really cool people. And so and we have uh, some directors that attached and looking at uh, at it. And so, yeah, that one, hopefully we're looking at the fall. So we can do um, Eternal Realm. And have that one. It's probably a four-week shoot, and then going pre-pro for Punch Drunk, and then shoot that one to the end of the year. And then we have another one. It's smaller one, like three hundred thousand, that we're supposed to do sometime in between there and stuff. So it's like he's like, no, no big gonna, deal. Yeah, uh, you know, it sounds like a busy year, man. Dude, yeah, it's a lot of projects. That's exciting. Yeah, that's exciting. Awesome. So distro, like when you, mm -hmm. you know, when you're. Is that going in your pitch deck as well when you mm -hmm. take this to the investor and say, this is our plan to make that money back? Um, and so does that change each type of film as well? Because mm -hmm. I'm sure the faith-based films compared to something that might be you know, classified mm -hmm. as a mainstream film, are you shopping those in different mm -hmm. places? Yeah, so distribution is going to be different for each film you do. And so a good if you're doing a low-budget film, a good thing to do is go to Walmart and find the films that are like yours. So if you do a thriller, go to the, the DVD section, look on the back of the DVD who distributed it, and just write all those down. And that's a good – because these people are actually getting films into Walmart, Target, things like that of a lower lower caliber. And so that's a good way to start – um, or IMDb, great resource. And you can look at films that are comparable to yours and see who distributed it. Their contact info is right on there. And so all you have to do is contact them, send them the pitch deck. Hey, we're doing this film. What do you think about it? Would you be able to sell it? What are the numbers? A lot of times they'll be like, well, send it to me when you're done. You know, <laughs> Unless you have a, a, a record portfolio of films so they can see what you're capable of doing because there's a lot of people in the industry that haven't done a film and they're trying to sell a film that they've never done before and so that's really hard to sell yeah that's <laughs> such yeah. a yeah. creative strategy to like boots on the ground just mm -hmm. find you know the the people that are the gatekeepers to the industry mm -hmm. and i love all of the creative strategy involved and just like let me go to walmart <laughs> let me sh look at the back of all of these dvds write them down and then mm -hmm. shoot an email out like that's such an easy simple way mm -hmm. to make contacts in the feature space mm -hmm. i love that yeah so i got a question so mm -hmm. you know you're getting you've got these four shorts you've mm -hmm. got a feature in the can that you're shopping you got it sounds like two or three features coming up mm -hmm. So as you keep building your portfolio, what's what's 
what's 10 years from now? What's the dream? I mean, is it, is it, you know, Cinemammoth, uh, Hollywood, uh, in, in, uh, Weatherford, Texas, <laughs> or what, you know, what's, what's, what's the big vision and plan? Yeah. Our, um, big patient vision and plan is to be able to make film full time without having to do supplemental jobs, you know, like mm. building houses, which I, I enjoy, but it's not really my passion. You know, just the vision would be to sustain yourself making film and putting out good content because that was our goal to begin with is you look at Hollywood now and it's all crap and garbage, you know, nowadays there's nothing with substance, nothing with story mm. to it. And so we want to put out good content that people are going to watch and it's going to touch them. It's going to change their life and they're going to walk away with something from the film, whether it be awesome. yeah, a feeling of joy or a feeling of, man, I need to think about that part of my life. You know, and that, that was our whole goal with making our own projects and creating our own work. Because if you're waiting on other people to hire you, it's like playing the lottery. And you, as you know, you never win the lottery. <laughs> so <laughs> you're going to be waiting around for a while. So you you need to put in the work and you need to go out and create your own success. It's so good. Speaking of success, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I know you uh, produced a TV show because we actually worked together on mm -hmm. that, Cinema Story instead yeah. of Mammoth. Yeah. So uh, and and. It won some awards, right? So tell us about uh, that project, that process. What, what is it? What did it do? Yeah, so a TV show is called Reconciled, and it's on the TBN app right now. And so a TBN, they're uh, distributing it. And so it's a talk show that deals with reconciliation of relationships, whether it be um, husband and wife, friendships, coworkers, things like that. And so, uh, yeah, I was one of the executive producers on there. And... It was just a, a good show that was brought to us and was like, hey, here's this opportunity. You guys, you know, here's this, the concept, this and that. And I was like, yeah, sounds like would be cool. Let's do it. And so hit you guys up and came out and we shot, made a studio out of my house and <laughs> shot in there. It was filmed in Corey Cannon's house, if you watch the, the TV show, which his house is amazing. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, he built it himself and designed it, all of Small that. Small flex right there. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, so you can not only see uh, his skills as a filmmaker, producer, <laughs> but then also as a home builder, all in one Facts. show. Yeah. <laughs> Facts. So um, going back to uh, just all the different hats that you wear mm -hmm. and, and whatnot, I want to ask you how you feel like being on, you know, having a chair in all of those positions at some point in time has impacted how you approach those other positions. Mm -hmm. and, and so for people who are trying to get well-rounded in the industry, how that plays a hand in, you know, making an impact on the other roles that you'll do. Yeah, so being a producer is basically being a problem solver. And if you don't know what all the other departments need, it's kind of hard to actually problem solve it efficiently. So being an actor, you know what actors are like, man, there's there's no food or whatever, you know, if, or what the, if they need a good holding space to get in their head space and things like that. So you know what they need and to cater to them on your productions. And same thing with G&E. It's like they'll, they'll need specific... Uh, equipment for the shoot, make sure that they have that or else they're going to complain <laughs> or they're going to not, you know, do the best job because they're like, we only have one sandbag. Blah, 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 you know, <laughs> and so, yeah, to know the different aspects of filmmaking just makes you all around a better producer, better filmmaker, and because you have the knowledge of how everything is supposed to operate in that space. Oh, he wrapped so up producing good. so good. Yeah, that's that's great, man. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing, too, with being a DP. Like, being a DP helps me interact better with actors. It helps me interact better with the director. It helps me know what sound is going to need when I ask for, you know, a super wide yeah. shot. It, you know, uh, all, all, the di all of the different roles, they blend over mm -hmm. so well. Like, having a little bit of knowledge about all of them makes you that much more valuable on set. And it's not that you have to do all of the roles, but having a little bit of knowledge on those roles, I think is mm -hmm. a critical part in climbing up the film ladder for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Well, Corey, this has been fantastic. We, jumping into the next segment of the show, mm -hmm. we have five questions that we want to okay. ask everyone. Um, and the very first question 
is if you could go back in time and do it all different in your filmmaking journey, what is one thing that you would have done different? One thing I would have done would be to not have quit it in that brief moment of time when I went. But you look back and it's like God will use all of that for the good. And I learned so much from going to college and this and that and and just the different things that I did while I wasn't in the industry. But that was probably be the biggest thing would be not to give up and to not be so hard on yourself for not booking a job or not getting the part or not doing this or not doing that. It's you learn from your failures. And so that's what I would give the advice to everybody is just not to give up and not to be hard on yourself because this industry is really difficult. It's so much rejection and you're going to be rejected. And it's not personal because you, when casting a film, you have to make families look like legit family. So you may be the best actor that auditioned, but you're, we already have a, a mother and we need a daughter that looks like her and you, you know, and so, yeah, just don't take it personal. <laughs> so good. Yeah. It's the same thing too. even just being, you know, behind the camera, like mm-hmm. there, there's certain factors that go into why you may not be the best fit for mm-hmm. the job. It may even just be because you, you're, you're the best cinematographer, but maybe you don't have the right camera system that the rest of the production has. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It may yeah. be something as simple as just like, you know, a compatibility deal and not a skill set deal. But I tell people this all the time, uh, that rejection, you know, especially with clients too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain clients that you are not going to get, especially as a freelancer, whether you're even as a production company, like there's just jobs Mm -hmm. that people are going to pass you up on and you never know the reason why, but you cannot carry the rejection of Mm -hmm. those jobs or sell yourself short just to try to grab every client that you can. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I deal with that daily, you know, so it's not like it's going to go away. So you still have to constantly be like, well, it's, you know, nothing personal. Let's just move on and do the best we can. I love it, man. Mm-hmm. So what excites you most about the current film industry and the current film market? Well, th- there's, it's good for uh, filmmakers right now because there's so much streaming out there and people need content. And Hollywood is struggling to put out good content, like I said earlier. And so it's our job as filmmakers to create that good content because – it goes back to the ancient times. People sat around fires and told stories. Mm. And that's that's what we're doing now, except we're not sitting around a fire. We're telling a story. Well, I guess the TV can be considered a fire, I guess. you know, <laughs> It's the same concept. And so that's what was exciting is because everyone has a phone. Everyone has a screen and access to something visual. And so media, video, film transfers worldwide throughout you know the airways and so everyone has access to that which is cool because what you're doing now on your screen and and making a message can go to the ends of the earth which is pretty cool why have i never thought that filmmaking is essentially the same as telling stories around a campfire that is such a cool concept to me like i'd I'd never thought about that but i just felt like Mm -hmm. light bulb moment like this is nothing new it's just a different Mm -hmm. way of telling stories wait a minute wait a minute so did amazon really like hit it on the head with the amazon fire stick Whoa! <laughs> is there some deep <laughs> meaning there that they? Uh, I, let's not give uh, yeah. Jeff Bezos that much credit. Yeah, yeah. he has enough credit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So uh, number three. Yeah. What's one piece of advice you would give to filmmakers trying to grow their craft or business? There's a lot, but one I would say is always say yes, uh, because you're going to need experience. You're going to need network. You're going to, unless it's something that like will compromise your integrity, then you always want to be on a project and be learning and, and networking because, and also when you're networking and on a project, you need to carry a good attitude because that's, because as a line producer or as a producer, you're, you have to fill these positions. Like I'm going to get a script 
I'm like, okay, I need to hire a DP. I need to hire a, a director, a gaffer, this and that. And so it's, I'm going to hire people that I want to work with and that I like and enjoy and that I know are going to do a good job. And so if you're on a set and you're like, don't want to be there, you know, and acting, um, have a bad attitude, you think you're going to get hired again? Because people are watching, you know, whether you like it or not, people are watching and they're taking mental notes of your behavior. And so that's what, that's the advice I would say is always carry yourself in that state of uh, being is, is like always have a positive attitude, always do your best 100%, whether you don't feel like it or not, because that is going to get you more jobs. People want to do business with people they like, mm -hmm. period. If you are a super likable person and easy to get along with and enjoyable to be around, when you're getting booked out for a job, that is going to play a huge role in whether you get the job or not. Because you may be more qualified, but if I don't enjoy working with you, then you're not getting hired on my team, period. Yeah. And you know, especially when you're doing a feature film that can last four weeks plus, and you have to do life with this person for over a month, you're gonna wanna be around someone that you want to be around. Mm -hmm. Even if they're more qualified, if they're not likable enough, you can lose the part that way. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's a big piece of advice that I would say. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah. So uh, next question is where are we as an industry headed in filmmaking and what should we all be focusing on right now? Well, we're all heading down the drain if we don't step <laughs> up and do something about it. Like the good filmmakers with heart, with passion, because Netflix and Amazon and those big corporations, they're just putting out lifetime, you know, they're just putting out content that's just garbage you know mm. and it's it's an algorithm to them they're like oh we need to do this we need to have this person here this is the time limit this is this this is the budget and then they're just cranking it out because there's so many outlets that need content and it's just you know nothing with substance and so if us as filmmakers don't step up and start creating good content that people want to see and that actually carry weight then we're not going to change the industry. And film is what's going to change our society as well because everyone is, like we said before, everyone views film. Everyone has a screen to watch. And that, like just like propaganda, you know, in Germany and Russia and all that stuff, it changes people's mindset. So we need to be putting out as filmmakers good content that is going to change the way people think and the way they prospect their lives. Mm -hmm. I love that. I feel like it's the the rise of indie filmmaking again, mm -hmm. right? Like we, Hollywood, yeah. you know, back in the, you know, what, 30s and 40s and 50s, it was the the studios, right? And mm -hmm. I feel like we have entered that again with Netflix, a Netflix-produced film, right? Or a series, a Hulu-produced film or series. Amazon's doing the same thing. Apple is doing the same thing. Paramount, we've got all these big mm -hmm. names, right? And so I love hearing success stories of people that – Take a film, a story, right, a value of something that is completely different and makes it and then mm -hmm. is able to sell it and get return on investment, right? Yeah. That's important, but it reaches people in a different way because, uh, man, great point about the algorithms because it's about keeping their uh, subscriber base, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't really matter what it is. They just have to have new content coming out constantly mm -hmm. uh, that will hold that subscriber base. Um, so man, I, I'm excited. I'm ready to go make some films. Right <laughs> it now. gives a lot of hope yeah. for the indie filmmaking, you know, generation mm -hmm. right now, where everybody has access to a camera, and mm -hmm. there's more competition than ever before. But there's also more demand than mm -hmm. ever before, and so it gives us an opportunity as creators to make stuff where we can actually make a living, even if it's not Marvel Studios. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? We can still make a living yeah. making movies, which is an exciting time that is different than mm -hmm. any other time in history. Yeah, And I got to jump in, and Corey, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I think distro is the key, right? Mm -hmm. Distro is so important in the return on investment process with these investors. Mm -hmm. And as soon as indie filmmakers can take distro into their own hands and and so I'm talking OTT and VOD but it's you know it's been hard to do correctly right you can't 
so far, I feel like not many have mass uh, made a lot of money on OTT or VOD, and everybody's trying to do their own streaming. But you see Paramount and and all of, like I said, all these other apps coming out because they're just big OTTs. They're mm-hmm. big corporate OTTs. So, yeah. um, Shane, can you explain an OTT and a VOD? For over those? the top. Yeah, over the top is, uh, so basically it's an old term, cutting out cable or any kind of distribution. So it's self-distribution. And so a lot of that, uh, and then VOD is video on demand. And so you're looking at, at um, uh, you know, things like Vimeo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where you can post it on Vimeo. They're still taking a cut, but you're it's direct to the filmmaker. Um, and so I know a lot of people are interested in that. Uh, I know production companies, even have streaming channels, you know, mm-hmm. on their on their website now where they're coming up with original content. But I always feel like the shortcoming of it is the marketing. You there's you got to do so much PNA, right? The old term print and advertising in the theatrical uh, world. So how do we get self-distribution or is there are there these indie self-distribution mm-hmm. companies that can come up and change mm-hmm the uh, way that the masses consume media, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm really excited about is, and I, I want to get a piece of that and crack into it. How do we yeah. own distro where uh, we are not limited to, oh, I got to go sell this to Netflix or Amazon mm-hmm. or HBO or you know do a th- theatrical run. How can we take the power, give the power to the people, mm-hmm. right? Give the power to yeah. the people, the filmmakers, uh, the storytellers, um, so that you can get your max mm-hmm. returns. And I, I don't think it's been figured out yet. Uh, or if it has, somebody tell me yeah. how <laughs> to do it. Yeah, so um, there's a big mystification of distribution because they use a lot of Hollywood creative accounting and nobody in the distribution realm is filmmaker-friendly because there, I've heard so many stories of people just, taking the film and they'll give you a minimum guarantee up front and then they never see a dime after that because mm. like, oh, here's your, your film didn't make any money, sorry, you know? And then I have personal stories where where that has happened because um, I have a film with uh, Lionsgate right now, it, but I went through a distribution to get to Lionsgate. And so there's just a whole thing about that. It's a Western, uh, it's in Walmart right now uh, mm. called Death Alley. But, <clears throat> but yeah, so... I know some people, uh, Kappa Studios, they're actually making a distribution arm of Kappa, um, and they're doing it different because they are creating a joint bank account with the filmmaker, with the producer, whoever owns the IP of the film. And so every dollar that they get goes right into that joint bank account, and then it splits. Like, however the waterfall set up, like if it's 50-50, like 50% will go to, to the uh, distribution company, 50% will go to the filmmaker. And so that's really the right way to do it. So everybody is accountable and things like that. So they're just now starting that that arm. I think they said they had like 85 uh, so far, like uh, films in their roster. So that may be a good avenue, uh, but they're only going to put out like faith-based films or films with a message, you know, because that's Kappa's um, whole mindset as well. And then um, there's another one I know... Um, it's integrity releasing and they do the same type of thing, but the theatrical realm. Mm. Um, and so they create a joint bank account and all that good stuff. Uh, and that's really the way to do it because you, you're not going to make your money after you make the film a lot of the times with using this, the standard distribution route. And so, yeah, I wish there was just an easier way to get, cause the filmmaker will uh, grind and, and spend all their money in this to like, oh, we have a film. Now what? You know, it's like if I built a house and didn't know how I was going to sell it, that's not a very good thing to do as <laughs> an investor or a business owner. So you have to look ahead and then work backwards. So like, okay, who is going to buy this film? Is it going to be like mothers in that range? Is it going to be like teens for an action film? And then you work backwards to see what you need to put in your film and who you're going to reach out to in order to sell it. So it's just a, it's so much like mystification about it and like it's shrouded in this mystery because the people that are the gatekeepers don't want anybody to know how they're actually doing it. 
Yeah. Well, big shout out to those two uh, distro yeah. companies. Then mm-hmm. it sounds like bringing in bringing in ethical mm-hmm. practices yeah. that you would hope would be in most businesses, you know, could change the landscape for the filmmaking community. So that's exciting, and I'm still very interested in OTT and VOD. So yes. I got to figure out how to do that. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome, man. So uh, my last question for you. Who is a filmmaker that you admire or who has made an impact on you? Hmm. I man, I just I take pieces from everybody that I work with of what I like and wh- what they're doing. So like there's pieces from directors that I've worked with that are like, "Oh, I like how they do that." And the pieces from producers like, "Man, I like how they handle that situation or this or that." So I don't really think there's one person in general but just a collaboration. And that's how every, I think everybody should be. You shouldn't just look at one person and want to like idolize them and model yourself after them because you're an individual person and you need to be unique. And so, if, but you, if you take pieces from everybody and that you make it your own, that's going to make you the best filmmaker and the best producer, the best actor you can be is you take all that and you, you make it unique. Another, I feel like that's another home building uh, analogy, right? Taking all these pieces and making yep. something unique and going back to the distro, researching mm-hmm. your target audience, yep. right? And just mm-hmm. like you research your buyer, what are you going to put into that house and let's make it, mm-hmm. you know, something unique and desirable? Yep. Well, and I do the same thing too, even as a DP and just like, oh, I really like how this DP like framed this or I like how they lit this or I like how they moved the camera to create this feel. Like, let me pull from all Mm -hmm. of that and make it a giant melting pot of what makes me Joey Mm -hmm. as a DP on set and the same as like Shane, a director. Like he's pulled from all these different ways that he can work with talent or block a scene or whatever. And so that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, well, you always got to sprinkle in, you know, the the Joey yeah. or the Shane or the Corey, right? <laughs> a little bit of, little bit of sprinkle on the top. Right yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, Corey, where can people get connected with you and find more mm-hmm. about you? Uh, you can go to our website, cinemammoth.com, and you can see uh, just who we are, who we're about, and uh, just some of the films that we've done and some of the films that we have coming up. So that's probably the best way. I love that. Well, Corey, thank you so much for coming out and being our first Rough Cut Club VIP member added to the podcast and added to the club, man. Thank you for your time, for all of the value that you provided everyone today. Is there anything else that you want to say before we sign off here, man? Man, just um, don't give up. You know, the industry's hard. Life is hard. Pursue your passions and have a vision and go after those and don't compromise your integrity. So good, man. Well, I am your host, Joey Nakotra, and this has been another incredible episode. Thank you for tuning in to The Rough Cut Club. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. And if you get a chance, leave us a review uh, by clicking on the review button, or please drop us a comment or a DM on Instagram. We'd love to get connected with you guys, and we want to hear who you want us to interview next on the Rough Cut Club. What he said.